good fun so far. And we're in chapter 5, and we'll be around verse 21 through to the end. I'd like to apologise to you because I have no props this week. There was like a, I could feel that there was an escalation happening. Um, And so I thought, actually, I can't beat a live human being or two. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna add any more props. James is offering me a, an old-fashioned suitcase. Um, there was a blue-like pipe thing which I was gonna hold for a while and leave you guessing, but no, I have no props this morning. Um, apologies. I want to take a moment before we begin to um, I'm not checking my phone um, to honour Andy and Dan Daniel. I don't know if you know, Dan prefers to be called Daniel. I call him Dan all the time, which is not very nice. But it's not a massive preference, but a slight preference. He prefers to be called Daniel. So if you call him Dan, you might want to call him Daniel instead. Um, He wouldn't ever probably ask you to do that, so I'm asking on his behalf. I want to honour Andy and Daniel, because I think the last two weeks of teaching, uh, they've done such an excellent job. And in this church, we value honour. Honouring God and one another. And that's not empty words of you know, oh, didn't he do a good job? But actually, taking a moment to say, they did a fantastic job. To the point where I would say, possibly, that's some of the most accessible teaching I've ever heard on the doctrines of justification and sanctification. Primarily, because they didn't use either of those words. So you've been taught the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of sanctification without even realising that that's what you've been taught. The white shirt that we wear that can't be tainted by sin, can't be tainted by that stain. God the judge has declared you just. You are justified. Nothing can change that. The ongoing process of thinking about and being filled, our our thinking and behaviour changing, being filled with the Holy Spirit and all of the gunk of life being pushed out and scraped off the surface like the water being poured in and the oil coming out of the glass, as Andy showed us. That's sanctification, your ongoing process of being made holy. And those two talks have set us up well. This is why I'm saying it, because for the next few weeks, the final few weeks in Ephesians... We're going to be moving, as we've previously said, from this is all the benefits of the Christian life to this is how you live the Christian life. And so some of the teaching will be very much, this is how you should behave. Now, no one who's heard those last two weeks of teaching should come to anyone who preaches and say, well, you can't say that because we're under grace, not under law. Well, we're not saying that you're now under new law. We're saying you've been justified You're being sanctified, and this is how you do it. In partnership with the Holy Spirit. But you have to be involved. By living the Christian life, we don't mean observing religious ritual. We mean living under the direction, rule, and authority of Jesus Christ. We sang this morning, I give you my heart, all that I am is yours Those are not empty words to sing. If they're empty words that you've sung, you need to not sing them in future. There should be no one who's heard those talks that has an issue with being told, you need to change. 
every one of us needs to change. That includes you. Me as well, but it includes you. We all need to change to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. What we're going to be speaking on this morning is, primarily it will be that we'll be talking around the topic of marriage. But I just want to say, if you're single this morning, this is not irrelevant teaching to you. You're part of a church where married, there are married people. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who are married. And so at the very least, you should know how to encourage and challenge them in how they're conducting themselves in their marriage. As well as that, some of the people who are single now will get married. And so you need to know what you're looking for in a prospective husband or wife and what they're going to be looking for in you. So if you're single, don't see the word marriage and just switch off. This is relevant to you. Our passage today in the current climate potentially causes us lots of problems. Uh, And primarily because it appears to be flying in the face of what we would say is, that's what we would encourage and say is normal life. That's how things should be. And that may sound like a problem, It's become more and more controversial over the last hundred years, but actually it's a good thing because it forces the church to not be lazy. We can't be lazy about our doctrine and go, oh, well, it's just like that. Actually, we need to know why things are the way they are. Why we believe what we believe. So let's begin by reading the passage. And we're not going to cover everything this morning in this topic. As we've said many times, We've given ourselves big passages to deal with. Otherwise, we'd be in Ephesians as long as we were in Acts. If you were out and around, Acts was an epically long series that lasted for about two years. So let's read from Ephesians one, uh, Ephesians five, sorry, twenty-one to thirty-three. So I'm just including this note that was at the end of the passage from last week which talks about addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Blemish can also be blameless. She might be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
Can you see how that might be a problem in today's world? Before we begin, I want to just say a few truths which hopefully are not controversial and we can all agree on. The first of those is that both men and women are created in the image of God. They have equal dignity, value and worth. Any society that says that men are superior and that women are second-class citizens or diminishes their value or worth or oppresses them in any way is wrong. It's wrong. And they don't serve the God that I know who's the one true God. And the same is true for any society that says the same women are superior and men are inferior, but that's been less of an issue historically. Men and women are created equal in the image of God, are both created in the image of God with equal value and worth. Truth number two, the power of the gospel, through the power of the gospel, we can live in relationship with God which is the defining relationship of your life, how you relate to God. Your identity and purpose in life must be grounded in your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour if you're looking to another man or woman to satisfy the deepest cravings in your heart. You're loading them up with a burden they can't, 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 can't carry and you're setting yourself up for major disappointment and you're making an idol out of a relationship or a person. Your relationship to God is the defining relationship of your life. Truth number three, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should obey what the Bible says. Can we, do we agree on that? Truth number four is similar to number one. But the Bible teaches that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God took care over each one of us when we were being made. That he says he knit us together in our mother's womb. You were made by God to be the person that you are. Now, God is working on you and transforming you and sanctifying you, but you were made to be the person you are. The reason I include verse 21 is because where this can get controversial, you need to remember verse 21 of our passage. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Within the church, everyone should be submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. There should be an attitude and a culture of mutual submission and honouring going on. And we'll come back to the, at the end why that's important. But firstly, I want to say, what's the purpose of marriage? Well, John Piper says this. The highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church on display. If you're married, you're married for God's glory. This passage is a little bit classic, Paul. He's meant to be going on to instruct This is how you live the life. If you're married, this is how you should live. But he can't help himself but speak about Jesus. It's classic Paul. If you read any of his letters, he'll be talking about something and then suddenly he'll be six or seven lines about how amazing God is and what wonderful things he's done for us. If you're married, you're married for God's glory. 
Marriage is a demonstration, or it should be a demonstration and reflection of the gospel. If you're in a marriage or you're entering into a marriage with any other idea as the primary purpose of your marriage, the relationship will not function or flourish as it's fully intended to do. It might be okay, but it won't fully flourish in the way that it's intended to do. I love, I'm not really a catechism guy, but I do love the first uh, question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of human beings being alive? What is, what is the purpose? Why are we here? The chief end of man, the purpose, the reason we're here is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If that's the purpose of the human race... I'm saying it's true of marriage as well. The primary purpose of marriage is to glorify God. The primary purpose of marriage is not pretending everything is perfect or even okay. Oh yeah, our marriage is okay. We're, yeah, we're doing well. It's, that's not the primary purpose of marriage. And in fact, God's power, it says, is made perfect in our weakness. And any demonstration of God's power brings glory to God. So he's glorified when it's made clear that we can only do what we're doing by living in his power. I've been married six and a half years, which is much shorter than some of the people in this room. But in those six and a half years, I can say the only way that two people can live in a house in harmony is by the power of God. And Megan and I have a very pleasant marriage. You know, just as a general rule, it's very, very nice. Neither of us are particularly combative people. Well, she's not. There are these parallel ideas that Paul's been talking about. In the gospel, Jew and Gentile, these different people are joined together to create one new humanity. In marriage, husband and wife are brought together to form a one flesh union. This idea of two different things being brought together to create something new. It points also to the union between God and man. You don't get much more difference than creator and created. And yet the Bible says that we're united with Christ in his death and resurrection, which is why we get all the benefits of the gospel that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. So I want to ask you, when when people look at your marriage, do they see Jesus? they see the gospel being reflected. The purpose of marriage is to glorify God by reflecting the gospel. Now, how does that work itself out? Well, that moves us on to the controversial bit. If you can't see what that is, that's a hat shaped like a boat, which is headship. You appreciate that. Paul appreciates that. And submission. Now, those are silly pictures, and I've deliberately used slightly silly pictures because I think one of the big problems 
is that we all take ourselves far too seriously. I couldn't possibly submit. Don't you know how great I am? Well, I can't take responsibility for her. Have you seen what she's like? Do people see Jesus reflected in the headship and submission within your marriage? What is headship? Well, firstly, and this is the bit that will probably be most controversial, and as I said, we're not going to cover it all today. Feel free to come and talk to me afterwards. Verse 23 says, Jesus is the head of the church. Is the head. Jesus is the head of the church. It's not up for debate. There's no one in this room who's going, actually, I think I'd like to be head of the church for a little while. Maybe, Or maybe this guy over here or that girl there. Jesus is the head of the church. It's not up for debate. And in the same way, the husband is the head of the wife. Now, what does headship mean? Because that's the controversial bit. Because I think we misunderstand it a lot. It's not a suggestion. This is a biblical statement. Headship doesn't mean boss. It doesn't mean boss. So if you're thinking that, you're wrong. Now, guys, if you're a husband here, you will probably be, hopefully I upset you. Because if you're upset, maybe God's trying to teach you something. Um... If you're a good husband, then you probably won't get upset. Headship doesn't mean you get to play the, I'm the husband, I'm the man, I get to say. Bang. Trump card. Can you still use that phrase? Um, (laughs) Bang. It probably has even worse connotations, doesn't it? Um, you, You can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. Stop talking, I'm the man. No, I don't want to hear anything, I've made a decision. That is not what headship means. If you think it does mean that, you're a fool. You're a fool because you're not loving your wife the way that you should do, and you're robbing yourself of a fully functioning marriage. Wives, headship doesn't even mean he's more gifted than you. He might be a much worse leader than you are. That's not what headship means. It means, husbands, you will stand before Jesus to give an account for your wife and your family if you're blessed to have children. Why did or didn't they flourish in the way that God intended? It's quite similar to the concept of eldership. Now, obviously, you all have to give an account before Jesus of why you lived the lives you did. Daniel, Andy and I will have to stand before Jesus and go, well, this is why we told them to do this, and this is why we instructed this, and why we encouraged this, and why we said, well, we'll... We'll go for this thing rather than that thing. We will have to give an account for each and every one of you. In the same way, in a marriage, a wife will have to give an account to Jesus, but the husband will have to also give an account of, well, why didn't you lead her like that? Or why didn't you suggest this thing? 
in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, Eve takes the fruit, she eats, and Adam eats some as well. When God turns up to question them, what does he say? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Not, Adam and Eve, where are you? Eve, where are you? Now, there's, we learn a lot from that story, and whether you think that it's literal or some sort of poetic interpret, uh, representation, that's not what we're talking about. We can learn from this story. The big issues for headship and submission occur in that story. God says, Adam, where are you? This is what Adam does. He goes, I'm here, comes out. What happened? Did you eat that? Well, the woman that you put with me did it. Straight away, instead of taking responsibility for what's happened, as he should do, as the head, that's what it means, taking responsibility. He says, well, God, the woman that you put here did it. He's palming off responsibility wherever he can. Headship means taking responsibility for your, in a marriage for your wife like Jesus took responsibility for you. It means leading your family like Jesus leads the church. Francis Chan, if you don't know, he's a, I encourage you to look up his stuff. He says it's a bit like this. If a robber comes in your house, you wake up, husband and wife, taking responsibility means husband, you go and confront the robber first. It doesn't matter if your wife is a black belt in judo. <laughs> she can step over your unconscious body and deal with the guy. Verses 25 to 29 outline what it means to radically and sacrificially give yourself for your wife. Your primary concern should be to spiritually nourish and cherish your wife. Mark Driscoll calls it being tough and tender like Jesus. John Piper calls it being lion-hearted and lamb-like like Jesus. Jesus was tough. I've gone on too far. Jesus was tough. You ever read the accounts when someone opposes him? He doesn't go, oh, I'm really sorry I offended you. You brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. He was tough. He took a physical beating and went to the cross. For you and for me. Other way around. He was tender. He was lamb-like. He wept over his friend's death. He despaired when he looked had compassion on people. He cried. There can be this idea that to be a man, you have to be alpha male. We'll talk a little bit about this on Friday. Who, you know, smashes beer cans onto his head. Now, there is a part of being manly that has this sort of strength to it and being lion-hearted, taking responsibility Something's happened, I'll, I'll take ownership of that, I'll sort it out. That's what it means. 
Men, husbands, what is your issue? Are you really good at the tough and not so tender? Or are you really good at the tender and not so good at the tough? Headship means the weight lands on your shoulders. You might say, but my wife is difficult. This is a Triscoll quote. She's not as difficult as the church is for Jesus. Try having the church for a wife. Read the book of Hosea. In Mark 10, there's a story of James and John coming to Jesus and going, Jesus, we'd like to be, have these positions of authority and leadership. He says, oh, you, you don't get it. And the, the rest of the disciples are outraged. They're, they're trying to get in. They're trying to get the, the places of honor. He says, you don't get it. Leadership in my kingdom is not like that. If you want to, be, if you want to lead, you need to serve like I've served. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Give yourself up for her. If you're saying, I'm playing the trump card, something is seriously wrong. Now, we will talk about where that comes in. I'll talk about it now. Driscoll, Mark Driscoll, who, if you don't know, does some excellent teaching on marriage. He's had some bad press. Some of it's valid, he would say. Some of it's not. He said in his marriage, there's two instances where he said to his wife, I am your husband. As your sort of leader, I'm telling you this isn't going to happen or you need to do this thing. Those two things. One, she wanted to homeschool all of their children. They've got like six kids or something. He said, listen, I know you. I know the situation. We've talked about it. We can't agree. I really don't think this is a good idea. It's not going to happen. The other instance, she's stressed. She's whatever. said, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to give you some money. You're going to go and you're going to buy yourself some nice new clothes. I'm your husband. I'm telling you to do that. You must obey. Those are only two instances in his marriage. I don't know that there's ever been an instance in my marriage where I've said, I'm your husband. This is what we're doing. That's not what headship means. It's not what submission means. John Piper says he yields often as a husband. He gives him of himself. Oh, you want this? I want that. That's fine. Not in a, oh, I'm so weak-willed. You, my wife has her way all the time. But just as a, Christ gave himself, I'm going I'm to give up what I want because that's what Jesus did. I'm going to give up my comfort because that's what Jesus did. Proverbs 31 outlines this amazing woman. It's touted as, if you, want to be a, if you want to be a great wife, read Proverbs 31. If you want to be a good husband, read Proverbs 31 and think, what kind of a husband must she have? She considers a field and buys it. Well, she's obviously got some sort of, you know, the husband's not going, oh, right, well, you've had your two pounds for the week. You can't have any more. There's trust between them. It says he has full confidence in her. How are you leading your wife and your family? Are you a dictator or are you a servant leader like Jesus? If you're not taking responsibility for your wife practically and spiritually, grow up. Let's talk about 
what submission is. Now, a point to note in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, not to any old bloke who talks to you. Okay, this is not men over women. This is in the covenant relationship of marriage. When you enter into that, it's saying, as part of this, this is what it means. I had the privilege to be at Simon and Bethany's wedding, and I don't think I know of a wedding where it's more clearly stated and so powerfully stated, this is what Bethany is saying. Bethany is not a shrinking violet by any means, but she's saying, I'm submitting to Simon as my husband, as we're all submitted to Christ. It's very powerful. So we talked about men and women being equal, equal value and worth. Well, Jesus and the Father are both God, but Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. We read in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will, but yours. If you're married, then part of that marriage covenant is to be submitted to your husband. This is to be a reflection of the church being submitted to Jesus, not a lessening of your worth, value, or dignity. You're not any less of a person because you've got married, wives. In verse 24, the wife is equated to the church and the husband to Jesus. It's not a chore for the church to submit to Jesus. It's not like we're going, well, does he really love us? Is he really going to take care of us? Can we really trust him? That's what causes problems in submission. The same should be true in marriage. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father to pursue, love, and save those who hated him. Jesus is instructing, the Bible instructs wives to submit to someone who is meant to love them like Jesus loves the church. Six things that submission is not. And this is taken from uh, John Piper. If you search six mi- submission, what it's not, John Piper, this will come up. He explains these much better than I will do now because I'm covering lots of uh, stuff. Submission is not agreeing on everything. Depending on the personalities in, the, in your marriage, you might agree on lots of things or you might agree on nothing. I know a couple, they're as different as you can imagine, but their marriage they make it work. They don't necessarily agree on everything. You're allowed to like different things. I like it when nothing matches, because then I don't have to worry about the fact that any whether stuff matches. Megan likes things that look like they're meant to go together. That's why in our marriage, Megan gets to decide what colour the walls are and what how we decorate stuff. Um, <laughs> Submission does not mean leaving your brain at the altar. It's not like you say, I do, and like at the back of your head, just just flops onto the floor. Wives, you should have an opinion and your husband should value it. Submission does not mean you do not try to influence your husband. Now, people don't like the word influence, maybe. 
Um, what that means is you can encourage your husband to change his behaviour, to grow more like Jesus. Megan and I had a discussion the other day, um, which basically, something I'm rubbish at, and I'm trying to improve, and I'm like, I'm really trying. She's like, that's fine. It's really frustrating for her, really, <laughs> probably quite irritating, but I'm saying, I, I, I'm working on this thing. Now, Part of why I'm working on that is because it's helpful to me, and part of it is because I know this irritates you, so I'm going to change it, because I don't care. It's not like my identity's wrapped up in being disorganised. That's probably the, one of the big things. You know, I'm not, not the most organised person. I need to be more organised. Well, I don't get my identity from being disorganised. I get it from my relationship with God. So why wouldn't I be willing to change that? Plus, being organised is, is a beneficial thing for everyone. Um, I don't know if that was the issue, but um, that's one I've used as an, as an example. Submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. You should not submit to any request of your husband that goes against the teaching of the Bible. Jesus is your first priority. Submission does not mean getting all your spiritual strength from your husband. Your first port of call for your spiritual well-being is God, and you should have a personal relationship with the Father. There should be a mutual encouragement within marriage in that relationship, not a dependence. Submission does not mean living or acting in fear. Your husband should love you in a way that you want to follow his initiative. You shouldn't have to act or speak in a certain way to prevent violence or aggression. That's not being submissive. Being submissive is not, I can't say those things because he'll get, he'll explode and, and be angry with me. Or we, can't, we can't talk about money because he's told me we're not allowed to. That's not submission, that's abuse of power. I use this picture because marriage shouldn't... Oh, it's not up there. There you go. Marriage should not be a wrestling match. Neither of those people look happy. <laughs> and one is trying to force the other to submit. If that's, that's not what marriage is meant to be. If that's how submission works in your marriage, something is very wrong. I'll move on from that picture. <laughs> Megan said it was distracting, so. <clears throat> Biblical submission is not being beaten down by a superior force. It is intelli intelligently and deliberately honouring your husband ahead of yourself. Submission is saying, I actively choose to defer to you and your opinion and willingly place myself under your authority. Just like we've all done in our relationship with Jesus Christ. As Jesus honoured the Father, the church should honour Jesus and wives should honour their husbands. Back in Genesis, we find the biggest issue with regard to submission, where God says, the woman's desire will be contrary, or in some translations it says toward, which is a bit weird. Um, it says the woman's desire will be contrary to her husband, which is a more clear translation. And in her book... I thought Megan said it would probably be good to have a woman say something. So um, 
This is a book by Carolyn Mahaney, which is one of the resources that I would recommend to you. Uh, she says this, in speaking to other women... Oh, rats. they got it. Um, she says this. She doesn't say, oh, rats. <laughs> <clears throat> she says this about that verse, that the woman's desire will be contrary to her husband. The form and context of the word desire actually has a negative connotation, an urge to manipulate, control, or have mastery over. Because of the curse, sort of God's punishment for sin... We, we, women, now have a sinful tendency to want our own way and to resist our husband's authority. This evil desire poses the greatest opposition to submission. So we see that the submissive wife, far from being weak-willed, the weak-willed woman our culture portrays... Let me read that again because this is important. So we see that the submissive wife, far from being the weak-willed woman our culture portrays, is actually a model of inner strength. By God's grace, she has conquered this opposition within her own heart. It's actually weakness on display when a wife is not submissive. She is only caving in to her natural inclination to usurp authority and to demand her own way. That doesn't take any effort at all. That's quite strong, but it was written by a woman to you women. So if you disagree with that, you can uh, contact Carolyn Mahaney. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she's on Twitter. But this is doesn't take any effort to not submit. This is a self-sacrificing thing. Like Jesus sacrificed himself. We're called to be like Jesus. Wives, that's all assuming your husband is doing his half correctly. We don't have time to talk about what to do if he's not, other than speak to your group leader or one of the elders and or their wives, and we'll try and sort him out for you. Um, Megan, don't go talk to anyone. That's <laughs> <laughs> assuming your husband is doing his half correctly. Wives, what causes you to not submit? Why would you resist that? As I said before, am I here? No. Before anyone gets too upset, about, oh, you're telling me I should submit to my husband. Well, that's what the Bible says. My job is to faithfully teach you what the Bible says, whether you like it or not. So um, if you don't like it, you can tell me, and I'll point you to some other Bible passages, and you can tell me you don't like them as well. Verse 21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the context of this teaching is that Everyone is submitting to one another. And then within marriage, wives are submitted to their husbands. So, In some ways, wives, you've got an easy job. Because you're already submitted to everyone else anyway, so this shouldn't be a chore. Other than what we just read, which is that it says that your desire will be contrary to your husband. Now, I'm not saying that to downplay. It's difficult to submit. I'm not disputing that. But this teaching takes place in the context of mutual honouring and submission within the church family. We're all to honour and prefer one another. If you're in Ephesians, you can flick over a page or two to Philippians 2, where it says this. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord of one mind and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Then goes on to talk about the fact that Jesus, though he was God, didn't think, oh, well, I'm going to be equal to God. He said, no, I'm going to make myself nothing in order to be of benefit. In order to save. In marriage, it works out like this. Husbands, your wives get to be the judge of whether you're leading like Christ or not. So before you're asking her to submit, you should be saying, am I leading you like Christ? The value of honour needs to be held in a marriage. When things go wrong, we notice it. It tells us where we notice it in verse 33. Husbands neglect to love their wives. Wives neglect to respect their husbands. Husbands, choose to love your wife. Make the mental decision to esteem and prefer her, to sacrifice yourself for her, even when she doesn't deserve it. Wives, choose to speak well of your husband. Choose to think well of your husband. Both to him and to other people. How do you speak about your husband? I know there was a... Megan used to meet up with a couple of ladies um, who were both older than her, married for a longer time than her, and she came home to me one day and she said, I'm not going to that anymore. It's meant to be like a mutual encouragement thing. She said, the way that they speak about their husbands... I'm not interested in that. When headship and submission, love and respect are working well in a marriage, there should be joy for both husband and wife and they should both thrive. We're going to finish up. I'm going to ask a couple of questions. I want to give you one piece of advice from some pastoral observations there's only two instances where the phrase I'm leaving you gets used one you actually mean it and then your next conversation is with me Daniel or Andy or you're like a child trying to score points against your spouse stop it okay Husbands, be tough and tender. Wives, be respectfully submitted referees. You get to make the call. Does your marriage reflect the gospel? If it doesn't, you need to speak to your group leader or you need to come and get prayed for this morning. Husbands, are you taking responsibility? Wives, are you submitted? I mentioned there's some recommended resources. If you want to...
Sorry, I'm, I'm serious about that. You don't say that unless you actually mean it. It is oh, so damaging. Not just in the moment, but for a long time to come. There's no value in saying it whatsoever. These are the recommended resources. If you've got a pen, you might want to take them down or I'll, they will go out on the Facebook thing. I'll put them all up or I'll get someone else to do it um, if I can organise that. Uh, a book called Is God Anti-Gay by Sam Albury might be an unusual recommendation in this. I read this book in an hour um, because I couldn't put it down and I was just like, this is brilliant. It's probably, in terms of a short book that you can read, it costs about three pounds, Maybe it's more than that now. It's the best book I've, re- I've read on, to summarise in such a short space of time, singleness, marriage, and the question in the title, is God anti-gay? So if you're interested in any of those topics, which you probably should be because they're big issues, um, and the idea of identity, read that book. Uh, this Momentary Marriage by John Piper, you can get that for free as a PDF. The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. The Marriage Book by Nikki and Scylla Lee. Uh, Feminine Appeal by Carolyn Mahaney. Uh, any Mark Driscoll talks you can get on marriage. If you're a man, brace yourself. Uh, and there's a resource called Mingling of the Souls by Matt uh, Chandler and his wife. They do a conference every year for couples and singles and uh, marriage. So there's some recommended resources for you. Invest in your marriage. Invest in it. When you learnt to drive a car, you took lessons. Whatever job you're doing, you were probably trained in how to do it. You may have even studied a degree in it. Get a degree in marriage. Get a degree in your spouse. Does your marriage reflect the gospel? I'm going to pray for us. If you're thinking, actually, there's some stuff I need to, to deal with, please come and get prayed for. If you hated anything that I said, please feel free to come and say, what did you mean by that? I've not covered everything. Can't possibly do that. We will go back to talk about marriage another time in the future. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us with an unending, never stopping, never giving up, never failing always hoping love. I thank you that that's how you love us. That you always go after us again. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus, that he endured scorn and shame and ridicule and physical torment to win us for himself. Help us as husbands do the same be willing to sacrifice ourselves to win our wives. Help all of us to be submitted to one another. That there wouldn't be a lording over. I pray against any attitudes of pride and self-importance, but that we would consider others better than ourselves, more valuable and of more worth than ourselves. Father, I pray you would be with us by your Holy Spirit this week, that 
what's spoken by me this morning, if it's your words, they would sink into people's hearts and change lives. And if they're trivial things that I've said, they would just fall away. So Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in the marriages in this church. Lord, we will fight for marriage in this church. We won't accept marriages where husband and wife aren't flourishing. We want to honour you in these relationships, Lord. I thank you for the blessing of having single people amongst us. I thank you for the blessings that they are in my life, in my marriage. And I pray that as married couples, we would be good at including people in our family lives. There wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be this idea of singles and marrieds and it's us and them. It would be a sense of a family of God together, sharing life. So I pray a blessing on us all in Jesus' name. Amen.